Welcome to the Leadership Mindset Podcast with me, Tony Brooks, where we look to revolutionise your leadership mindset by changing how you think and see your world, enabling you to do the right things and grow significantly as a leader. Welcome back to the Leadership Mindset Podcast Series, and today uh, I'm out in Radcliffe in Nottingham, and I'm with Pete Colby. And um, Pete's expertise is in mediation and business organisation. In fact, officially, he's a mediator in civil, commercial, and workplace. And Pete's had his own business for just over a year now, he's saying, I think just started his second year. And the business is called Pragmatism. And getting to know Pete, that, that company name seems to really suit him very well. <laughs> uh, he's had previous roles. He was at um, Rolls-Royce, actually, in a senior HR capacity for, I think, over 10 years. And then uh, other HR and sort of manufacturing roles before that. But we're going to be talking a lot today about... Uh, leadership, uh, organisational culture, and obviously drill down into Pete's specialist area, which is mediation. So welcome, Pete. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for inviting me. Good to have you uh, involved. Okay, so let's um, let's start with a big question. What does leadership mean to you and what makes a good leader then, Pete? What would you say? I, I would say leadership for me always comes down to obviously people that's what a leadership role is it's about people but it's it's very much about about trust so so we all know you know the sayings about trust you know takes a long time to build up and not very long to lose and yeah. and, and I think it's I just think it's very true um, I don't believe that just because somebody's signed a management contract or are officially in a leadership role means that they've got that trust and respect. It's something that's absolutely got to be earned. Um, and, and I do think that that's where a lot of leaders really do fall down because they they don't get that initial level of trust and, and they don't behave in a way that, that creates that trust. And if you don't have the trust, then you're just not going to get the team the team behind you yeah and, and I think as you say actually if you if you start to lose that early on it's probably hard to, to regain it further yeah, down the line absolutely. I mean what kind of things do you think a leader can do to gain the trust of their people then so if I if I think back very early in my career because um, I, I didn't I'm not a traditional go to school do A levels do degree type of person I left it at 16 years old and, and came through more through the university of life um, and I, I think back to one of my very first leaders that I worked for a guy called Graham and, and he was you know I was working in a warehouse at the time and, it, and he was the type of guy that yes he used to talk about the theories of leadership and, and what we should do but he, he absolutely demonstrated those theories in practice and, and he, he understood the challenges we had as a team and where he needed to he rolled his sleeves up and he, he jumped in with us um, and, and he wasn't one of those people that would just tell you what to do and walk away and then sit in his office he was there he was part of the team yeah yeah he, he, he very much you know there, there are some theories about inverted triangles in organisations and the managers are there to support the team yeah he didn't talk about those theories but he actually he, he operated them, them. Yeah, absolutely yeah. Yeah. And, and he saw his job as there to support the team and you know deliver for the team and if we had challenges and we had um, 
roadblocks in what we were doing he was there to remove those for us and and help us um and so we trusted him and we we absolutely respected him and i guess there's obviously one of the ways you build trust is um by being honest with people yeah. and, and integrity but it's also it's always an interesting one I, the the area of authentic leadership and how much you share with your people what's going on and that kind of thing what's your view on the sort of authenticity of leadership and, and how much a leader um, should openly share with their people what's your thoughts Pete? I think it's it's fairly simple from my perspective and, and, and I, I think the more that you can open up and, and show that you're actually a human being and you may be in a leadership job but it's it's just a different job and the more humility that you can show as a leader absolutely you start to gain that respect for your people the, 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 there's too many I given what I do um, and, and some of the root causes of some of the disputes that I see it's it's often down to the authenticity of, of leaders and it's not their fault it's not always their fault but they 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 don't have the confidence and they don't have the ability to to just be authentic with their people and you know some of the best leaders i've seen have been the people that have said hey guys i've just made a mistake or sorry about this and i'm feeling a bit vulnerable at the moment and or i'm fe- i'm not feeling very comfortable and you know just just that that open way of talking to people rather than I'm the boss I know everything this is a nice theory I'm going to preach at you and just get on with it and and not showing that human that human element I mean the number of leaders that don't know about their teams or their teams now don't know about them what they do in their personal lives you know how many kids they've got what they do outside work and and, and often it's the conversations that are not work related that build the trust as a leader in in an yeah. organization you build a human relationship Absolutely. doesn't it as well as Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah no interesting interesting to hear you say that um so what makes a good leader for you then trust that humility the human connection yeah um what else would you add into the mix there then well, I think I think sometimes you know I'm yeah I've got an HR background, um, um, but I think sometimes people think that that means you're it's all about being soft and fluffy, and and one of the major things I see is is the inability of leaders sometimes to to actually be a little bit tougher, and I don't mean tough in a really unfair sense because I see a lot of that as well, but the, the you know one of the co- contributors to building respect is, is is knowing where the line is and if that line's crossed then it's, it's a little bit you know it's like having kids isn't it you know I've got an eight-year-old daughter um, and, and I'm sure my wife wouldn't mind me saying this but you know my daughter knows who the boss is in the house <laughs> as in you know she will do generally what I say um, and that's not because I'm I'm horrible or anything or I hope not but she knows where the line is and if the line's crossed then there are consequences whereas whereas my wife is more a bit of a well you know you don't you don't really want to hand out any sort of punishment or anything like that so so whilst my wife will give her the same instructions she'll probably she won't follow through as much and and it, you know employees are very much like that as well they they need to know where the lines are and they need leaders that are going to you know just bring them back on track as well so 
you know, I've seen many employees that have not, they've not been dealt with in the right way. Um, and it's one of the common feedbacks I, I get with the trade unions. They, they almost, you know, sometimes trade unions have a bad press. Um, but one of their frustrations is often that managers won't deal with employees that are regularly coming in late or regularly having too much absence and things. And, and they're desperate for managers to be a little bit tougher, actually. Yeah, no, I, I really uh, relate to that myself, actually, Pete, um, in my work. I think the, the thing that I encourage leaders to do, as you say, actually, is have boundaries and then deal with it when, when they're crossed. Because I think that can be, we'll talk about organisational culture in a bit, but I think that can be pretty damaging for organisational culture if certain people are seen to behave in ways that are outside of the boundaries, but nothing gets done. Yeah. And um, interesting that you say the unions sort of feel strongly mm. about that as well. Mm. Um, but certainly the workforce, I think, get frustrated with it. And I think it can be demotivational because um, I, I've seen it in organisations I've worked in as well where there just isn't that consistency and there isn't, as you say, there, there isn't no sort of boundaries. Mm. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think that balance of, uh, I guess, being human, being vulnerable and all those kind of things, but then with a the toughness... As Absolutely. a leader, I mean, I mean, just to give you one quick example, when I was in, you know, in the food industry, we we, we had a site that that really suffered from bad absenteeism, um, and had done for many many years, and and it, it wasn't until we took an approach, a very consultative approach, but a, an approach that said we we just couldn't live with it. You know, the business, very low prof, profit margin business, we couldn't live with that level of absence, so we needed to do something different. And, and the employees, I mean, they went on strike and, and, and they really pushed against what we were doing. But at, but at the end of it, we massively changed the absenteeism of that site. And although there's a small minority of employees that were leading the strike action, the majority of the feedback that we got afterwards was about time. You know, people have taken the mickey for many, many years on this site, and about and and at last you've drawn the line, and you're still being very fair, you're still being very reasonable, but you've you've actually stood your ground, and that that had not happened previously. Yeah, no, good. Yeah, so that's a good example. Yeah, yeah no, it's absolutely critical. I definitely, I definitely relate to to what you're saying. So, okay, we've been we've been talking about leadership, um, but. In my opinion, one of the most important things for a leader is to be able to lead themselves effectively first, because I think um, leaders, I think it's almost like the big elephant in the room that if you've got a group of leaders together, they'd struggle to admit that they have their moments where they get imposter syndrome, lack of confidence in themselves, all of those kind of things. Um, but I guess you now having your own business for just over a year, yeah. um, what do you do, Pete, to keep yourself uh, motivated, self-confident, sort of a, a, as close to the peak of your performance as you can. I think I think running my own business, it's uh, it's it's always about the people around you. So when I was in corporate world, you know the way I the way that I ensured that I was you know maximising my productivity and and the way I felt was very much about the the team around me. So I. You know, I had a large team. I've, you know, I've managed very large teams. So I've always had those people around me, and they keep me. They've always kept me in check, if that's the right thing. And you know, it's it's like when doing performance appraisals with those guys. I, I've always seen 
an equal importance to the feedback from them about me as a leader and 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 again it's about trust so you you know on day one people didn't give you that type of feedback because it's perceived as negative to you to your boss but you know, I, I always used to feed off that, that sort of feedback that's telling me, what, what am I not quite doing right? What would be better for you? Coming into business, that's harder because I've not got those people around me. I've not got that large team that I'm managing. Um, but I do work with a number of associates and I do work with, you know, people like yourself and people in my network are absolutely critical to me to have those people around and, and to get that same type of, 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 of feedback so you know and it's social media has been a, a revelation for me as well um, I wasn't really a, <clears throat> an active person on social media in corporate world but I am now on um, especially things like LinkedIn uh, as, as leading a business and I, I put a post on um, oh, probably a couple of months ago on LinkedIn because somebody had said it's great to see how successful you are in your business and it, it made me really think about sometimes social media gives a wrong yeah. impression yeah yeah and people tend to post about the great things and not the not, not the you know there's many challenges in running a business and um, and so i put a post on about you know thanks for the feedback it is going well but it's it's equally scary, and and I was describing it as a roller coaster that you probably go up it's and a down. Damn good expression for it. I it think. is, isn't it? Yeah, you, and you go up and down there twelve times a day, three hundred and sixty-five days. You know, including Christmas Day, you, you're up and down that roller coaster, and it's scary. And uh, you know, and there's a lot of sleepless nights. And 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 I just wanted to give a balanced view that it's well, you know, don't think that everything's. Rosie in the garden. It's the, you know I find it really challenging. It's very difficult. It scares me. Uh, I lose sleep. You know I worry about the mortgage being paid. You know it's a, it's a really difficult position to be in. And 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 the reaction that that had was was sort of oh it's great to hear you say that because yeah, yeah. I feel like that and I'm scared and you know and and it's it does you know it's it's a worrying thing social media but but yeah very much about the people around you and the the, the honest conversations is what keeps me keeps me ticking really and keeps me focused yeah drawing support from other people but Absolutely. I guess do you have any habits um, that you sort of go through on a regular basis to help you I mean like I, I uh, when I get up in the morning I do a bit of Tai Chi mm. um, I do a bit of affirmation work actually I do a little bit of I find reading helpful I mm. read on various topics so I've got I go for a swim or do some exercise so I've got a few things that over the years I've found help me in terms of routine how about you Pete is there anything that helps you would deal with some of that as you said the sleepless nights and the, the anxiety yeah. that comes with yeah I I, I I certainly don't do Tai Chi. Maybe it's something that I should. You, you, you'll have to give me we'll a, have a quick session. session after Absolutely, this yeah, yeah. We'll do it in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, I mean, routine-wise, you know, I, I try to keep routines as regards things like playing squash and and things like that. You know, help help from a, just taking your mind off work perspective. But I think you know, back to the roller coaster thing, I. I don't think it's any type of psychological technique or anything, but but when I when I was on the downward spiral on the roller coaster, I found it quite difficult. Um, 
and it was my wife actually that reminded me about perspective so so when i'm when i'm down there um i i do you know we've all had things in our lives that help with with perspective and it's often you know very bad things so you know my my sister and my father both died you know i lost both those to cancer and things and particularly bad times in my life and and when i'm when i'm having a really worrying day and things i find it really useful just to reflect back on those types of things and then i think actually it's not that important you know the challenges that i'm having today about something in the business it's 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 nothing compared to some of those challenges and everything else that so so i find that that's a a thing that helps me and you know we all know that there's people in the world that have got major challenges and things and you put just putting things into perspective yeah it really helps me to think actually i'm really really lucky <laughs> yeah no it's that's interesting you pick up on that because i've um, recently started doing um sort of mindset monday post or what have you and I, the topic i chose today was perspective right because um I like everybody else can be guilty of getting things out of perspective and um, there's a there's a, something I picked up on which I thought was a good technique which is um, the fact that sometimes we can make something that's like a two three or four out of ten seven or eight or nine out of ten yeah. I think we're all ca- and, and we're yeah. all capable of doing that so I think um, I, I look to self-coach myself I think that's probably what you're talking about there although with the help of your wife in certain situations is definitely good to have somebody else to mm. help you see that you've got things out of kilter a bit <laughs> but but at times just saying to yourself hang on a minute you really are over cooking this it's yeah, yeah. not that big an issue when you compare it with what you could be dealing with or exactly. some of the things that other people are dealing with yeah. so i think part of the self-coaching for me as well is um what's your perspective on this and because perspective actually is um is not reality yeah. by the nature of it it's how you're seeing a particular situation or how you're seeing yourself yep. and yep. that means that you're able to change that because it's not reality no. Um, no. and so yeah no great I, I like that Pete and, I think that's a big thing for me and, as well and perspective is you know in, in mediation it's something that we talk a, a lot about and it's you know it's part of the role is to try and help people to see things from the other person's perspective and and, and often talking to a mediator and getting that sort of feedback from somebody who's completely neutral and impartial does help people to put things in perspective and and, and back to my perspective some of the things I see in those disputes and some of the challenges that people have got in their lives really does make me think wow you know um, some of the problems I've got are uh, really quite insignificant compared yeah. to others yeah no absolutely all right brilliant so let's go drill down more into your specialist area which is which is mediation as you were starting to touch on there um now i don't want to put you out of business there pete but how, <laughs> how do you feel leaders can avoid uh getting into those situations that actually need mediation i mean that that's not always going to be successful but what can leaders do to avoid getting into those problems in the first place no it's it's a really good question because actually although i specialize in mediation what i what i try to encourage organizations to do is look at the root cause of every single mediation every single dispute because if you don't do that you know whilst it's good for my business to keep calling (laughs) me in i don't think it's good for their business um and 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 in my experience of um mediation and you know even informal disputes that i've done outside the banner of 
mediation it always the root cause is always leadership at some at some level it's always leadership capability um, and that's that's either the you know the usual thing that people talk about training courses and and things like that but it's probably 80 percent that I, I think leadership is a little bit of a DNA thing and and it's very often the wrong people in the wrong jobs so so I, I do if you go right back to the recruitment process in an organization I see a lot of very very capable very clever technical people who are the best in the team so somebody says I've got a great idea why don't we promote you and you manage the team and and it's you know it's it's I, I can understand why they do that, but it is it is probably the most common root cause that I see. So so just just getting organisations to recruit for leadership ability and leadership capability and leadership potential is a far better thing to avoid needing mediation in the first place. Because if you get a, a, a more natural people leader into a people leadership role you're not going to have the issues whereas when you when you promote those highly technical you know they're very clever and I don't want to pick on accountants or engineers but if you get a very clever finance person or a very clever engineer you know they're, they're usually brilliant at their jobs because their brains work in a very logical systematic way and that's what makes them brilliant but then to ask them to manage what are not logical and often very irrational things that are people that have moods and you know and problems and their dog dies and you know and and they're having a bad day you know very logical people don't tend to deal with 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 people at, you know at that at that end of the spectrum i've done a lot of work with um, um autism organizations in the past and you know, you don't need to be diagnosed as autistic to be on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. And and people that are on that spectrum that are, you know, they 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 have got fantastic capabilities in certain areas. But when it comes to illogical, irrational people, they often struggle to deal yeah. with that. Yeah. So and and you know, I, I I often say you you know you can't if you put somebody on a two week how to be a brilliant leader training program. It doesn't mean they're going to be a brilliant leader after that two weeks. Yeah, Pete, I, I relate to so much of what you're saying there. And actually, um, my my original career was uh, in IT, technical based. Okay. And so I would see the things that you're talking about that people who are already gifted technically, um, maybe put into leadership positions, but actually not even given the sort of two week um, you yeah. know, become a leader yeah, kind yeah. of course, <laughs> actually expected to almost pick it up and do it yeah. which is crazy because it yeah. is such a, a skill I mean you and I may not see 100% eye to eye on the DNA DNA because I mm. think if people have got an appetite for it um, then there are things you can learn and techniques Absolutely. you can learn to help you with it but I think you're right I think some people who are very logical precise people putting them into a place where um, things become unpredictable yeah, which yeah. people are as you say yeah. I think that can be challenging but yeah I, I mean I was lucky, like when I was at Experian for 10 years, um, they had a, they had paths that were open to people who were technical, who could become more senior and just stay technical, or they could go on the people management side. And I mm. wanted to manage people, I wasn't as technically gifted as um, some of the people were, but I used to enjoy um, the people 
leadership side. And I was also very lucky in that experience invested a lot in my development mm. as a leader. Um, because I do I do think there are um, skills that you, you can pick up on. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so some fascinating things there. And, and as you say, you see almost the root cause, I guess, is people who are leading, who are either not best placed to be in a leadership position, or you maybe haven't had the skills and training as a yeah. leader. And, yeah. and I think it's for organisations as well, as you were saying about recruiting, Pete, I think it's identifying within their organisations who will make, who, who shows that potential, as you say, and that aptitude to go down the leadership path rather than picking people who are good at what they do yeah, yeah. and then thinking they'll be a lead, you know, good leader, which, um, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, totally relate to that. And, and I think just, just adding to it, Tony, I, people, people often, when you have these disputes in the workplace, people often think about the employee that's putting the grievance in or, you know, the, the, the impact on the employee. But one thing we often forget is... It's very stressful for a manager to be in that position as well. A role that they're trying to do, but they've not got the capabilities yeah, yeah. to do. And it's not pleasant having grievances put in against you and yeah. employees Tough. giving you grief and trade unions giving you grief. I, I did a mediation recently where, you know, we sorted the issue out, but then the conversation I had with the HR director was was exactly that about if we don't if you if you don't do something about the manager himself he's a he's a good person but he's not a natural he's not a capable people leader then you'll be calling me in and again in six months and we'll deal with the next one and they actually did something about that and, and i do try to follow up with organizations to see how things are going and the hr director was saying that this manager is now absolutely flourishing okay. they've put him in a more technical role and he's so relieved he's not got all this hassle <laughs> anymore. He's, you know, he's dealing with things that he's, he's absolutely highly capable of dealing with. And he's, they've got a similar type of structure where, where you can progress just as far in a technical role as you can in a people leadership role. Yeah, yeah. And he's now, you know, he's come off the radar as being an underperforming manager. And he's now getting back on the radar as a very high potential manager which is okay. which is great but people often do forget about the impact on a manager as well as the the employee that's aggrieved yeah no and it's interesting you talk about that actually because i saw that in an engineering company that i, I worked with where um and it was only a small team actually but somebody had been put into a, a sort of leadership management position but was really struggling with their relationship with one of the people in the team and uh, in the end, um, I thought this was great actually because I've seen this uh, through my sort of career over the years and since I've been doing what I do, that I think ego can get in the way of making mm. the right decision sometimes. And it was put to this person, um, why don't we step you out of a management role and go back to being, you know, being what you are, you know, being a technician. Yep. And this person, uh, and I know this person, this person had the courage I think it was courage mm. to actually do that yeah. and realise that they were and uh, I caught up with them recently they're, they're much happier in their, in their role mm. um, because they've been relieved of those people leadership responsibilities that weren't really for them and actually caused a lot of stress yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, I like that Pete I think yeah. that, that um, 
God, ego can get in the way of making good decisions in all aspects of our lives. Absolutely, absolutely. But, um, but yeah. certainly in that, I think uh, having there was somebody I put it to years ago when I was working in an organisation. You know, why don't you actually approach them and say this is too much for you? Let me step down into something different. Yeah, and um, would have been a lot happier, but they yeah, just yeah. wouldn't do it because yeah. it was. Uh, no an ego based decision so mm. yeah no okay and what about so we, we talked a little bit there about how leaders can avoid and, and also I guess um, if I'm to understand you correctly when you're talking about getting them to think about what are the root causes leaders reflecting on what brought them or companies reflecting on what brought them to this place where they needed mediation yeah yeah not only that aspect of putting the wrong people in leadership roles but what do they learn from their experience? And I guess when you're brought in um, to help with those situations, you can help them with that reflection so they don't get into that place again. Absolutely. I, I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with um, um, a couple of issues for an organisation at the moment where, you know, we, we, we're dealing with the, the individual disputes, but that root cause conversation is really helping the organisation to think about about what they what they do that, that they think they're doing, and they are doing with good intent, but it's almost the unintended consequences. So, you know, in in this particular example, it's it's about communication, and I've never come across an organisation that's not criticised for com- communication at some <laughs> at some point. And engagement surveys will always say you could communicate more effectively, um, but you know, in this organisation, there was a change in leadership. Um, and you know that all that was well communicated, but 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 what wasn't communicated was that that change in leadership had a quite a significant change in standards. So, so 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 the managers knew full well that there was a significant change in requirements and standards, which in in some ways put more pressure on them. But but you know it. it, it we talked earlier about crossing the line. Well, the line changed because the standards needed to improve in that organisation. But what they probably didn't do a great job of was, was communicating to the workforce that those standards have changed. So what that culminated in was was the the, the, the local managers up in their pressure, if you if for want of a better word, and their standards, but without telling the people that the line had changed. And and so therefore people were perceived to be unreasonable. And, and it, it bred a bit of a grievance culture and, a, you know, a bit of a them against us from a management workforce perspective. When, when actually some of this pressure change was, was through customers, it was through some of the regulatory standards. But, you know, the, 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 the way that they communicated that was excellent for the managers, probably not. And, and I think there was a bit of an assumption that employees wouldn't want to know that some of that detail yeah um, okay. and some people wouldn't you know you can never get it right can you with communication but you know it's it's those types of conversations and it's that's often with the HR managers or HR directors that's you know it's a good conversation because you've forgotten about the individual dispute you're looking at why and and how you can avoid it going forward it's yeah. a cult it's a culture question yeah we'll come to culture in a second yeah. so yeah and that, and also um when you go into mediation scenarios when you're going in to help with that what what are what are sort of a couple of the things that you always have in mind in how you tackle um mediation and, and approach it in the best way then Pete? 
So, so you know, my, my company's called Pragmatism for a reason in that, <laughs> that, that I, I do think when it comes to people that there's no one answer, there's no one textbook that tells you the the answer. Um, and, and the way of approaching it, it's, it's very different between, if I take commercial mediation and workplace mediation, they're two very opposite things. And the reason they're very opposite, again, come back, comes back to relationships. So if I'm dealing with a mediation that is commercial, so if you've bought a kitchen from a company and you've had a fallout, um, the reason you're in mediation is because you're trying to avoid court for a financial settlement. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the strength of that relationship and the criticality of that future relationship is very low, if anything. So you probably won't buy another kitchen from them um, and you don't need to work together going forward. So that's really focusing on how can we get a financial um, compromise between you and the, the kitchen company. In workplace, the criticality of the future relationship is, is, absolutely, is absolutely key and that's what you focus on. So, so in a workplace mediation, you know, the, the first, usually half of that mediation at least is, is spent separately. And it's, it's really about, pe people in disputes take positions. They always take a position. And, and one of the most commonly used phrases is, it's all about the principle. So, you know, I'm, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna take you to court. And my, the, one of the favorites is, my lawyer tells me that I'm gonna win. And we, which I always ask for a, a signed piece of paper from their lawyer that guarantees that they're gonna win. Um, so, so they take these principles, but what I'm what I'm interested in is is what their interests are, and again, it's root cause. It, it's what is it that's really making them, you know, feel aggrieved or embittered about this dispute, and and I don't just mean about a policy or that's been contravened. It's it's what is it? What's in their heart? What's in their thinking and their minds that's that's really making them feel that this could potentially go to a tribunal or to court and then you, you're back to the relationship element and trust usually comes in there in the workplace environment with leaders etc um, and then and then it is some of the perspective things that you talked about that you so you, you're really trying to get them to understand each other's perspectives each other's interests and trying to work out a solution together yeah and I mean I think it's I think I picked a point from Steve Covey's book a, a while ago, but um, do you? I'm guessing, Pete, you approach things from a. You were hinting there that people can come at it from a win-lose perspective. You know, yes. I'm going to win; the other party's going to lose. Do you? Do you approach it? I know it's simplistic, but do you approach it from a win-win philosophy that both parties feel that we've yeah, got a solution that is yeah the same so way. So the way the way I explain that in mediation is is a successful mediation will mean that that both parties will feel that neither is won. Ah, okay. So so if yeah. if one party feels that they've won, then another party is at some point going to feel like they've lost. Interesting. Yeah. So so people often look at me a little bit gone out when I say that that to say if if this is successful, you'll feel like you haven't won. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, but 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 it's you know but you've it's, given ground maybe in, yeah and because yeah. it, it is about it is about compromise but the compromise compromise is sometimes seen as a bad word as in you've compromised something yeah, you've compromised yeah, yeah, your yeah. 
your beliefs or your principles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's not about that because because at the end of the day, mediation is to try to to move things forward and to to to, to avoid you know a court because. You know, I, I work with a lot of lawyers, and most of them don't mind me saying this. But the only winners in in a formal dispute are the, are the lawyers. You know, and and the good lawyers out there, and there are many of them. And I work with a lot of really great lawyers who absolutely believe that the way to resolve a dispute is at the earliest possible opportunity. And 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 that's what you're trying to do because people are taking positions and. And, and the sooner you can sort of get those those interests together and pe- people have to be open to mediation i.e. looking for a result and some of, sometimes the end result is completely different to what people think it might be yeah yeah I, I did a civil mediation once where the the issue was around garden fence um, and not about the um not about the position of the garden fence, but about who paid for it and things. And and the solution was actually about one party doing some work in the other person's house. It wasn't a financial settlement, which is what the parties expected. Yeah, yeah. Because one party just couldn't afford it. But they could do some things that were useful in the other person's house, and they ended up being friends again. And that's the important thing, and that's... You know, it's very often that people have got a history of friendship and they've, you know, and things. And that's when you get into some of that stuff, then then people do start to think, well, how reasonable am I being in this situation? And it takes an independent, neutral person to help them to to see that perspective. Yeah, no, that's fascinating, really, because I guess it's it sounds like a big part of what you do, Pete, is getting people into a mindset where they are open to being flexible giving ground yes um well, i could use a compromise word as well but as yeah, you yeah. say that's almost but i think it's that um loosening people up to not stick to a hard position yeah. and, and be prepared to give ground and, yeah. yeah and one of the things i you know we talk to people about in mediation if if they're struggling to do that is is what we call the the the, the best alternative to a negotiated agreement and 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 when you get people to think about okay so if you don't come out today with a with a compromise a, you know a settlement etc what what's your next step and it's often well i'm going to court and, and when you talk about you know the time that court takes and tribunals takes the cost that that takes but most significantly the stress people people often need somebody to tell them what court is like and you know often in employment people think an employment tribunal is just a they'll just go into an office and talk to somebody and they'll make a decision and it's not you are you are there being cross-examined by a solicitor you are swearing you know you swear the oath you there's three people on a panel that will that will question you it's 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 a very very scary environment it takes a long time to get there if you've got lawyers, it costs a fortune to, to to present your case. And actually, in employment tribunals, that a lot of people don't know, even if you win, you don't get your cost back. Okay. So, I mean, so, yeah. so when you start to talk about that alternative to reaching um, a settlement, that, that often helps them to think, oh, well, I probably don't want to go through that. And most people say, I don't want to go to court. I don't want to go to yeah, tribunal. Yeah. So it so it helps them, you know. It's people even even at a low level in workplace grievances, you know. It's very stressful putting a grievance in, and and it's you know it's stressful to get there, 
um, but then going through that whole process and it, and it just becomes divisive it just becomes very it's more strengthening the positions whereas if you can have the informal conversations on a very confidential basis it helps and and you know more than nine times out of ten it then results in a mm. in a resolution fascinating so mm. it's a lot as you as you were hinting at really, so it's a lot about getting people to shift their perspectives on the situation and yeah. What have you. So, yeah, yeah yeah no fascinating okay so we got i've got one final question for you before we finish today uh because you, you touched on this topic uh, a few minutes ago actually and and i guess what you do mediation um issues around mediation come out of probably issues with organizational culture really and, and what particularly in the, in the workplace scenario and what have you so if we if we were to talk about organizational culture what do you think are the most important aspects of organizational culture then so I, I think there's everything we touched on about leadership because you know leaders are the you know they, they are the shadow they cast the leadership shadow across the organization um, so there's all the stuff we've talked about in leadership but but linking to that I one of the one of the things I see so much is you know visions and missions and values and and, and, and all this great stuff on paper um, and posters around the organization and things and and sometimes I'll walk into an organization and within two minutes you already know that the organizational culture is not what they're saying on the <laughs> on the posters and and you know I I, 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 I I do get the whole vision thing and the posters and things but for me they should go after the <laughs> The, the cultural to reflect what what your culture actually is and and I understand that this is what we're striving towards and visions about being the number one in the world and all this stuff but make it real for employees because if I can walk into an organization and see that it's not the real culture after five minutes an employee that's worked there for many many years <laughs> and has probably raised issues and not been listened to and been promised things that they don't deliver on and and you know that if i pick one element on that um it, I, I do smile at engagement surveys sometimes because a lot of organizations spend a fortune on employee engagement surveys and they come up with a list of a hundred things and 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 they go on a spreadsheet and go in a drawer until the you know the, the next engagement survey and, and actually if you can do some of the leadership stuff that that gives managers the confidence to talk to people in the right way without having to fill a form in and without having to do a survey just get them you know I, in previous organizations i've driven things that i've called coffee and donuts and you know and, and and people underestimate how scary it is for managers to do that you know we, we all know that it's quite frightening for a person to come from the shop floor into a manager's office that makes sense but it's it's really scary for a lot of managers to go from their office onto the shop floor and talk to people in their environment and a lot of the people a lot of the workforce don't don't understand that and don't appreciate that and again it comes back to the humility and the trust thing for a manager to be able to say that to people about actually I feel a bit intimidated coming down here and I'm a bit scared I'm a bit nervous about coming down here straight away barriers go down and and to be able to have that sort of coffee with people and talk about how things really are and just have a conversation like we are now well don't do it on a podcast but <laughs> you know just just a chat about how things really are 
and to build some of that trust but but the most important thing for me and i see it so much is that list of a hundred things managers often because they've not got the confidence they say thanks for that list of a hundred things i'll we'll go away and we'll do them and for me we should be saying to people thanks for that you see this list of 97 things we're not going to do them so we're positively telling you that we're not going to do those because we're going to do these three and these three for these reasons are the most important things and we're going to involve you guys you guys know how to do the job you can help us please help us to do these but deliver however you do it deliver on those three things and even if you can't do them you know feedback and and make sure that you communicate three things is easy to cope with a hundred things you know nobody nobody's going to deliver those yeah but then take your next three and 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 you start to build credibility and you start to talk to people and you know the there's nothing wrong with having a difficult conversation it's hard to do but where people are not performing and things back to the respect thing and back to the crossing the line you know you you don't have to put on a pretense of a performance management process and all these formal things there's there's a lot to be said for just having a chat yeah no i like that and i think the the word that was coming to mind as you were talking was um alignment and for, for the reason that I, I'm the same as you actually I, I can see organisations where they've done work on values and it's it was a paper exercise really mm. um, so I, I, I use that expression um, make it a living breathing part of your organisation so as you say either define your culture to match what is actually happening or define the culture to be where you're aiming to go but then do some work to bring everybody on that yeah. on that same boat really yeah and i think alignment is important because i think you know whether that be that manager having uh, a coffee and a conversation with people it's understanding the reality but it's then moving that reality as well uh, but doing it together yes. and i think you you know you talked about getting people involved in doing the three things off the survey or whatever and um you and i probably both have those experiences of surveys being done and then nothing really happening as mm. a result and much better as you say to reduce it down to a small number of things get your people working on it with you but actually do something and, and the word you use people's credibility so yeah thank you for sharing that because i think um i personally think on the last podcast episode actually i was talking to heidi thompson from duncan and topless about culture and i think it's such an important thing and it permeates everywhere and as you, and, and your expertise in mediation i'm sure you see that a lot of the mediation issues come from fundamental problems with the organizational culture and the leadership as you were saying so, absolutely yeah absolutely hey well brilliant thank you pete for sharing your wisdom today and um, <laughs> you're very welcome I, I found it really fascinating actually and uh, it's made me think a lot um i've never not in i've been involved in mediation in a personal um personal life but never in professional uh, perspective so it was really interesting and particularly i think the one thing i've taken away from that is um and people listening will be to approach and maybe even if it's a mediation without an expert like yourself if you if there's a problem at work to approach it with flexibility 
and be and be prepared to give ground and maybe don't go in there seeking to win it is about giving ground absolutely and and you know i don't want to undermine my profession or anything but mediation is quite a simple thing and it, and it, it really is just about enabling people to talk and be honest and and build that trust and you know sometimes sometimes the output of mediation is that an employee is going to leave the business yeah yeah you know but but that's because it's that you've explored the common grounds but it's because of that avoidance of of just general conversation and honest conversation and making people realize what consequences could be or how they're feeling and things it, it's just talking it, it's, yeah yeah you know, it's, and well, listening as well isn't it that's it and that's well, yeah. one of the things we talk about is the levels of levels of listening, and 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 in a dispute, you know, I I, I always say in a dispute, people you can see them, they they are looking and they're kind of listening, but what they're listening for is the pause, and they're waiting for somebody to take a breath so they can tell them why they're wrong, <laughs> and, and and part of the art is to 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 car park your issue, it, it, you can still bring it back, don't worry, but listen to understand what the person's actually saying to you yeah. is absolutely critical no yeah. I was reading a good book on conscious leadership recently and one of the parts of it was about how we listen and often we're listening with various filters ready mm, so we've either got our problem solving filter on or yeah, uh, yeah. you know and actually I don't think any of us perfectly do this but actually sitting with somebody whether it be in a work scenario or at home or whatever and actually giving somebody your complete undivided attention actually listening to what they're saying without thinking about what you're going to say next yeah, or yeah. processing the information in a way so yeah no yeah. That, that's really great no well, thanks hugely uh, Pete I think there's a, a lot of leaders and business people out there that will find this, this totally fascinating so thank you very much for sparing your you're time you're very welcome thank you for inviting me I've enjoyed it If you want to explore your leadership mindset in more detail, why not complete our free leadership diagnostic at thetonybrooks.com and subscribe to this podcast to join us for future podcasts.